Are small rural schools different from larger, more urban schools and districts? Our communities all look different, and so do our schools. Join me on this episode as I speak with Tim Taylor, the Executive Director of the Small School Districts Association here in California, and learn about the ways that small schools are using their models to help prepare their students for the career field. I'm Kelly Gordon, and this is Answer E, Edupreneurs Bridging Workforce with Tim Taylor, who's the Executive Director of Small School District Association, and I'm excited to talk to you today, Tim. Oh, Kelly, I'm so excited and uh, really appreciate you spending some time with me tonight. Absolutely. Why don't you give our listeners a little idea of, we go back a little while, how did we meet? Well, I mean, uh, I was the county superintendent in Butte, and I love to get out of the office and go see, you know, schools and all that, and I remember popping into your classroom, and you were teaching middle school. Yeah. And I go, that girl can teach right there. <laughs> and uh, so right when I saw you engage with the kids, it doesn't take long. I think when you visit a lot of classrooms in your career, you can walk in the first 30 seconds and know, you know, you snapped your fingers and said, hey, shh, kids, <laughs> pay attention to this guy. And uh, uh, from that moment on, I, you know, just followed you and um, watched you grow as a leader. And it's been great. Well, thank you. And you've been a big part in mentoring me and helping me along the path. So I'm very grateful for that and all your insights you've had along the way. So you mentioned you were Butte County Superintendent. Why in the world would you leave fabulous Butte County? You know, I just thought I just thought it was time, um, like all of us, as we journey through our career, I just felt a different calling and it was to do something more statewide. Yeah. Um, at Butte County, we had about seven six or seven state contracts and you know six or seven regional ones and i just like getting out there and um st- sticking to my passion my patent's always rooting for the uh, passion always rooting for the underdog uh, whether it's alt ed or foster youth or whatever and um the the small school district association we're constantly battling uh, you know large districts and all the politics because our members are um small right they don't have they don't have a ton of lobbying money and all that so ssda uh fights for that so i just felt that you know it was the greatest job ever to be at butte county but i just felt there was time and i think we all have that decision point we have to make to go um should i stay here so i try something new and i thought for my end of my career doing something more state nationally was was i was ready for that yeah, and that makes sense when you look at value added. You had added so much value to Butte County, and it was time to add your value statewide, as well as adding value into your own career and your own experiences. So, I'll, okay, I'll let you go on, on leaving Butte County. <laughs> I'm still here. You know, I still I still have it in my heart, and there's still great uh, connections I have, and, you yeah. know, a lot of them are my members. So um, I'll, I'll never forget Butte County. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that leads me to ask, Tell me a little about your members. What is the mission of SSDA? Yeah, I mean, we started in 1982. It actually started with four or five uh, leaders that, um, so right after Prop uh, 13 passed in 1978, what happened within the first uh, couple years was the new funding formula really was an advantage to large districts. Mm. And so these small district leaders got together, I believe it was in Mendocino at a bar, because that's how we roll. Um, <laughs> And so we got to put together an association um, that's going to fight for the smalls. 
And two thirds of the districts in California are small and rural. And uh, we became the voice. And now we like to say we amplify the voices of smalls. Yeah. Uh, we feel charter schools are kind of in the same boat as well, is that they're always fighting um, because they're small as well um, uh, per LEA. And so we advocate, we provide resources. Um, we celebrate uh, the great schools that are uh, all throughout California. And, and there's just members all over in these little, small, rural frontier towns that, as, as you know, you're from Megalia, the, the school is the town. You yeah, know? I mean, absolutely. And wherever you go, it's there. And you get out some of these frontiers, and it's basically just the school. Um, and uh, I love working with them and helping them out. So that's our mission, is to advocate and amplify the voices of Smalls and and uh, make sure our government officials uh, are, are, you know, taking care of them. Yeah, I resonate with that because, like you said, I am from a rural community and being an educator in a rural community and growing up in that realm, um, I thank you for that. And my question for listeners, I think a lot of people who have maybe come from a large district don't know the challenges that smalls and rurals have. So in your opinion, what are the big differentiators? What's different between working in a large school district versus a rural or small schools district? Well, I think the first thing... um on a positive note is the superintendent and school board knows every kid's name. Mm. You know, it's not a number. I mean, I worked in the Elk Grove's great district, but there's 60,000 kids. So, you know, how's a seven member board going to get to know all those. So that's the beauty of a small district is everyone knows everyone and everyone is uh, cares about everyone to the, to the core. Um, But the biggest challenge is there's just not enough resources. And I don't think um, our, our state focuses in enough on all means all. Mm. You know, we talk about, you know, the equity word and they say all means all, but truly you'll see some big equity gaps uh, in our in our small districts. And uh, let's be real. I mean, I think in the past five years, we've had over 300 districts that have been evacuated from wildfires and all yeah. that. And I don't think the state still has been focused in enough on making sure those kids have enough resources and support. Uh, and then the last thing, I think, you know, a superintendent, slash principal of a small district has to do everything, right? They yeah. may even drive a bus, they may even cook. <laughs> um, so that's a big challenge. I think uh, Carl Cohn, who used to run the CCE, uh, he was superintendent of Long Beach. Okay. And he went up to Modoc. Oh, boy. And he was blown away, uh, you know, like what a superintendent had to do in that district, like worry about the bus schedule. He goes, you're in right. Long Beach, you're not worried about bus schedules, right? You know, that's yeah. not your job. So he was blown away how much those leaders did it. It, it really changed who he was as a leader uh, when we talk about um, you know supporting all schools. Yeah, that's an excellent perspective. I really appreciate that. I do remember post campfire, you as the county superintendent sitting in a room with us as school leaders who are just glazed over and shocked after the loss of our community and school and homes, and and having you there in the room with us and in all the disasters that have followed, all of our leadership in the county has been so invested and so supportive. And those smalls really do pull together, don't we? It's a they beautiful really thing. They really do. It's really, a, it's really a, an amazing thing to watch great leadership step up during a crisis, but also just how, how much we're all family when it comes down yeah, to it. Absolutely. So I'm curious, in working up and down the state and having that state-level perspective now, in the smalls and the rurals, 
what are some of the tricks of the trade? What are some best practices? What are new and innovative things that you're seeing these small schools doing that you go, hey, wait a second, that they've got the key. They've got the ticket. They're doing it. Yeah, I, I don't say this lightly. We have some of the best schools I've ever seen that are in small towns. Um, they, and they kind of have the same formula. Um, they have a leader that's been there, I would say, at least eight years. We call it riding the bull. Oh, eight yeah. seconds, eight, eight years. Yeah. You know? um, so you have long-term leadership. Um, secondly, the campuses are meticulous. Mm-hmm. So they, they show that they, they, the, the maintenance operations and the school board takes pride in the school look. And the aesthetics of that, I think that's really important. Uh, they have great teachers. Um, they, they, they really individualize what they're doing. Even if they have to teach multiple grades, you yeah. see great teachers in there. And then, and then I think the other thing, they kind of have a secret sauce, you know. Um, you know, I've heard that term a lot. And they just kind of have something that's secret. I know Sundale down in Visalia has the Sundale shake. So every kid looks at you in the eye and they shake their hand. They nice. also have... You know the Sundale Trading Post, where kids, uh, kids uh, from general ed and special ed work together, and they make cappuccinos, and they have a whole store in there. Awesome. Um, you know, you go, you go to other schools, and they just have something that's just like, wow, that's awesome. You know, they, they really do take pride in um, having that secret sauce because you need something if you're going to be in a school that attracts. Um, and then I think if you backwards map the data. Uh, these great schools have a lot of inter-district transfers. So I think they're actually more charter-like than charters. They have less <laughs> rules. I mean, charters sure. have to renew every five years. They can just do what they want and do it for the community. And um, you'll see that a lot of them have 30 40 50 60% inter-districts. Parents find their school. Um, and it's because they have that, that, that formula I was talking about where, you know, super loving but definitely some unique niche that's just like, wow, that's cool. So between, I'm hearing between the eight seconds, which I love the eight second ride, that's fantastic. The eight years of leadership. And I'm going to guess that the teachers are just as invested. And combining that with your comment about the secret sauce, what I'm really hearing is these schools know their identity and Mm -hmm. who they are and what's unique about them. Yeah. And I think after COVID, they quickly went back to their, 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 their core, right? Like who they are and, um, and I, I, it's, it's just really fun to watch and you see, uh, little, you know, nibbles of it at every school, uh, but they almost all have the same five or six characteristics that are really uh, special. Yeah. That's enlightening. Yeah. I'm curious, what's your dream for education? You said you're nearing the end of your career. What is your dream and your hope for education as a whole education for smalls and rurals, California? What is it? Yeah, I hope, uh, you know, in my career, it might be might be a little later. I don't know, but it takes about twenty years to make a big systems change. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the first, you know, fifty, seventy years of education, it was all about you know uh, the industrial revolution and, mm-hmm. and farming yeah. and all that, and and then we moved into every kid get a high school diploma. Yeah. And then as we started getting into, um, it, you know, we want every kid to go to college. I remember being in a, in a district where they said they wanted 100% of kids to go to college. Yep. That, was our, that was our mission, yep. you know. And they said, why would we not want that for every kid? And, of course, I'm raising my hand being an alternative ed going, 
that that's not a realistic goal. But but um, we went college only. Then we threw in career. So it took about 20 years to get career in college into our mission statements. Mm-hmm. And my dream is before I retire or we see and we see, I think we should prepare every child to be a, a good civic, um, a civic minded person. Yeah. And have a career path, right? So it doesn't mean every high school kid will know exactly what their career path is, but let's let's focus in on teaching them great work skills and what who they are, and just get rid of the word college in our mission statements. I just I think it's um, it's political, and the universities have a lot of power, um, but I think it should be every mission statement should say civic and career, you know, kids that are career ready. Um, because that's what we want. I think if you're as a parent, you want your kid to be love our country, you know, yeah. love being a good citizen, and you also want them to understand what a career is, and uh, um, whether that's college or whatever, that's great. But let's just drop the word college from mission statements. Yeah, I, it's everything this podcast is about, right? Answer <laughs> E, all of the above. These yeah. should all be options. Who inspires you, Tim? Oh God, that's core. Cool. I think my uncle Eddie was in like um, he was. You know, I I have great parents. They're both teachers. But my uncle Eddie, bless his heart, passed away. Um, he was an electrician mm-hmm. and just a, a real genuine man. But when you're um, between my uncle Eddie and my grandpa, who was uh, was an upholster, okay. so he would take the old '55 Chevys. Yeah, you know, before your time and mine. <laughs> they actually changed the upholstery, and I remember going to a shop as a ten year old. And watching him work with, um, most of them were, um, 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 you know, from Mexico, right? He was the only white guy there. And um, just sitting there watching my grandpa staple and do whatever they do. They sew and they put in all the leather things. um, And he's sweating. And I'm like, what is this? Because my dad was a community college teacher. I don't think he ever sweated in his life, you know. But seeing Uncle Eddie, um, electrician, and Grandpa Grandpa Roy, who uh, was that, really, I uh, just valued hard work. Yeah. And I always worked. I, I started working when I was twelve, and they ingrained in me work ethic mm-hmm. and um, and what they did. Um, and I remember one time, my dad. It was so funny. I was sitting there with my dad, and I was like nine or ten, and my dad was complaining about having four kids and how hard it is. Yeah. I remember Grandpa. She came over and he's had big forearms. And he goes, really? He goes, how would you like to be a parent during World War One? Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, you're, you're sending your child off to war wow. and there's a tank that was invented. Yeah. And I went, you know, it still gives me chills thinking about that, right? But he kind of told my dad, really, it's not that bad, yeah. you know, um, dealing with your four kids. And um, it was just a great moment to be in a shop, all sweaty and oily and I remember Grandpa always said, "Work hard, Timmy, and you'll you'll be successful." Yeah. And, you know, I know you you're a hard worker, um, but you have to work hard in life to be successful. Absolutely. Well, I think you're speaking to also that value of working with your hands. You know, in education, we work with our minds a ton, and we work mm-hmm. a lot. But I know that you're somebody who, in your off time, likes to work with your hands still. Yeah. What are I do. some of those passions that you have? Well, I, love, I mean, I love. Art. I love just art in general, whether it's music or my own painting and all that. But I just like to I like to grind it outside. I like to cut trees down and do all that. I'm horrible with the details. It's all right. Like I know your husband's a masonry. <laughs> I don't know how to do. You know, I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. And I have this philosophy: don't let perfect get in the way of done. Yeah. Because you can spin and not get things done. Um, but I, I do like still mowing my own lawn. I still like cutting my trees down. I love going to the dump. 
Okay. You know. <laughs> really? That's what the I was seagulls? Like, <laughs> love the seagulls. Very disappointed. I remember posting on Twitter, um, now they have that sign, no kid can get out of the car. Oh, that's a shame. Because, man, when I grew up in Santa Clara, oh, we're yeah. running all over the dump. We're grabbing free stuff. <laughs> yep. Lawyers yep. messed that up. I was so mad. But uh, I, I probably go to the dump, I'm not kidding, 10 times a year. There you go. <laughs> Why not? Don't you <laughs> love, love the it. smell of the dump? Uh, no, no. I do not personally have an affinity for the smell of the dump. Oh, the smell of dirt, I can absolutely Throw it away. With, so. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I greatly appreciate your perspective and your mentoring over the years. Anytime, Kelly Gordon. Thank you so much. Right.